Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Hey, thanks for joining me again this week on the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast. I'm excited to be with you here again today. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm a chiropractor and a certified medical laser safety officer. We do this podcast to bring more information about laser therapy into the healthcare fields. And today I'm very pleased to be able to say that we have a special guest with us here to talk about neuropsychiatry. This is very fascinating stuff. Dr. Robert Hedea is here with me today, and he is board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. He's a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He's certified as proficient in psychopharmacology by the American Society of Clinical Psychopharmacology. He has specialized training in psychiatry at the National Institute of Mental Health and is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University Medical Center. He's also a faculty member at the Institute for Functional Medicine and has taught at the Walsh Research Institute and Georgetown University School of Medicine, as well as through his own training programs. He teaches about mood disorders, PTSD, precision medicine, genetics, methylation, functional gastroenterology, endocrinology and endocrine disrupting chemicals, infectious medicine and toxicology, and all that as it applies to neuropsychiatric disorders. Dr. Hedea has published three books and is an active clinician, sees patients at the Whole Psychiatry and Brain Recovery Center in North Bethesda, Maryland, where he and his team of experts work with patients that struggle with anxiety, diabetes, PTSD, fibromyalgia, fatigue disorders, cognitive decline, traumatic brain injury, and much, much more. So Dr. Hedea, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here today. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. You're our first psychiatrist uh, that we've had here on the podcast. So this is an exciting new field. We're seeing more and more research every day, not only in neuropsychiatry and the use of lasers, but also in our approach. And you're a functional medicine expert, but let's wind it back a little bit. And let me ask you, you know, how did you first become interested in this field and in psychiatry in general? Boy, <laughs> you have 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was originally going to be a surgeon, but uh, through a series of events, became uh, amazed by the, the human brain and mind. And then early in my training, uh, really tried to get the diverse training as diverse as possible without just settling down on one approach, like one type of therapy or just medication and tried to be diverse, figuring the more tools I had in my toolkit, the more people I could help. And then uh, basically had a patient early on who had a panic disorder who did not respond to everything I tried. And panic disorder is pretty easy to treat and figured out this 1983 that she had a B12 deficiency, gave her B12 injection. And boom, after a year, her panic was gone. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And what else am I missing? And that started me down the path that led me to Eventually, really, I was practicing functional medicine to some degree without knowing it, then getting formal training in functional medicine and teaching a bit in the last 20 plus years. And then in the last three years, extending and really realizing that while functional medicine is wonderful, and I don't need meds very often, uh, but realizing that even functional medicine has its limits when I look inside the brain at the different nerve tracts, et cetera, that, wow, 
while the patient's feeling better in many, many ways, the brain is still not healed. And now in the last three years, we figured out how to heal the brain from the inside out. That's going to be exciting for some of our people to hear, I think, because so many of us were taught in school, the brain can't be fixed. You know, once you have damage, once something has gone wrong, that's it. You're stuck with what you're stuck with. Not true. I just uh, got a volumetric MRI on a woman who we've been treating for two years who when she came to me, she's in her mid to late 50s, came to me, couldn't even turn the turn signal in her car, couldn't even turn the turn signal on. And now, and, and certain areas in her volumetric MRI were, were subnormal, like five or six areas. And now we just got a volumetric MRI and she's actually normal. That's incredible. Right? So brain is plastic, as we all heard. It really does recover, uh, you know, basically like, you know, take out the bad and put in the good, you know, so mm-hmm. we've all heard that before. Wow. That's, the, that, that's so exciting. Um, and I think patients are even still, I'm sure you see this too, but a lot of patients are still being told that there is nothing they can do, that the brain, that the brain is not plastic, that repair function isn't there at all. And just to give up. Mm-hmm. It's totally false. I actually, today, looks like I got acceptance of a paper of a woman that I wrote, a case report of a woman who could not recognize faces. And did really by accident, I wasn't intending to do this by accident, using laser after one treatment, her ability to recognize faces came back. Uh, and we tested her using the uh, Cambridge face recognition uh, test, which is an objective test online. And she was scored in the normal range. And, uh, you know, no, the brain is plastic. Obviously, you know, if cells are dead, they're dead. You can resurrect them, but you can bypass them. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of work, no question, but the brain is much more malleable than we thought. So, you know, most of us start, you know, in school with an interest, just like you were talking about, you know, interest primarily, you know, originally in surgery and, uh, for myself, it was originally in the simple musculoskeletal problems and dysfunction that come with the spine. Very straightforward, at least in my opinion. And then we get into these different, uh, we see these different cases, right? That it starts to expand our horizons. Um, and the motto that you have is better health, less medicine. Obviously, once you start seeing things like what you've seen, it's it makes sense to move towards that model. But what was what was the turning point? if you had one in your practice where you went from, you know what, I need to go less on the medication route and more towards that health, overall health of the body. Yeah, I would say, you know, um, I was moving towards it in in a steady, steady way, but the floodgates opened after the publication of my second book, uh, the Antidepressant Survival Program, which basically functional medicine for psychiatry in 2002, I think it was. And we got a we had a four page spread in the Washington Post Health Magazine, right? So you could imagine the phone calls that came for months and months. So these were people with treatment resistant depression, and basically we had so many we couldn't treat everybody, just impossible. So I had to select out for people who would be willing to do a very comprehensive and very thorough treatment, functional medicine treatment. And we ended up at the end of two years or three years or so. I was like, I, I, I'm not using much in the way of meds anymore. Now, I was a guy, I prescribed more Lubox than anybody in the Washington area. I'm a psychopharmacologist by training. Mm-hmm. They send me to Europe to go to conferences, et cetera. But, right? I was in their pocket. I didn't realize, I believed it was helpful. 
Anyway, after two or three years of treating people with functional medicine, their diabetes goes away and the osteoporosis goes away. Even MS lesions can go away. So wow. I'm, like, I, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm not prescribing meds anymore. Maybe I have selective attention to the positive and I'm ignoring my bad cases. So I did a retrospective analysis of all the cases that I treated over the previous couple of years or so with treatment-resistant depression. And it turned out to be 23 cases. And the mean Beck depression inventory score, which is a score of how severe is the depression, the mean was 34, which put the mean score in the mildly severe range. So there was severe in the low end of severe. And basically at the end of 10 months, everyone's normalized. And I only made the Beck depression inventory came down to seven. 10 is the upper limit of normal, there's seven. And I only changed meds in one person who I had to put on lithium because of a suicide risk. That was it. I made no other changes. So I was obviously not paying selective attention to the positive cases. Every single case improved. Every case. And That's people, incredible. They did what I... Now, if you know the literature, treatment-resistant depression, in terms of using psychopharmacology and medication... The, um, the, the studies are very clear that at best, you get 25% of the patients fully recovered at the end of one year, right? At the, at the best. So this is astounding. This is astounding. Now, when you add on to it, the other modalities that we're using with the high lane technology, which is hyperbaric, laser, neuro, neuro, uh, neural exercises, I'll call them, um, you know, we can now even do better than that, you know, so... Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. The, you call it the High Lane program, H Y L A N E. It stands for the the hyperbaric oxygen, laser, and neural exercises. Like like you just said, how how does that work together? And then also, what made you decide to start combining these different modalities? Well, I'll tell you that I believe in God. So what am I going to tell you? I believe in God. I, I I can only tell you I had retired in 2014 or 15. I had a year or a year and a half. Um, and, and I had time to go to conferences and to learn and to read and everything. And then I just started reading and I, I don't know, this is the way my brain works, you know? So I, I learned about hyperbaric and, and then I was looking at laser and I was like, whoa, you know, if this can go into the brain, that could be pretty game, a game changer. But how do I know how to apply it and where to apply it? So I, my innovation, all of these things, Hyperbaric has been in use for years, right? Laser even has been in use to some degree in, in the neuropsychiatric field, certainly obviously in the body for years. And, and the neural exercises like neurofeedback have also been around, but not used in psychiatry, but neurofeedback has been around for years. My innovation is that I use quantitative EEG to actually look in the brain and see where do I need to apply the laser treatment, uh, which networks are affected, uh, and you know, that's, that's my innovation, which is a kind of a patent pending innovation actually. So, you know, it, I can't even answer how, but all I can tell you is it's blows my mind just today, two patients, uh, that I saw one is a woman who's in her early eighties with depression that she's had for years and years and years. And she came in today, she's had, uh, I think today was her seventh laser treatment. She's doing laser and neurofeedback, no hyperbaric. We don't use all of them in everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And she told me that her friend, who's known her for 40 years, said she's never seen her happier. And I see it because I'm meeting her for the first time. You know, wow. you know what I mean? Her personality. Right. And then another woman who came to me, um, actually uh, from overseas for treatment with severe PTSD, a very high functioning woman who just fell apart in December. And she's had now, I think she's on a fourth laser and we're doing hyperbaric with her and, uh, and doing some mass cell work with her. And she's already turning around. She's, it's, it's, uh, Jason, it's mind boggling. I tell you, I come home at night and I tell my wife, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And so I'm very passionate about it. Yeah. That's uh, those stories are incredible. I mean, and that how rewarding to be able to see that on a daily basis when these patients previously are just without hope. Yeah. And so you actually somewhat retired then not that long ago. And this, this, this idea, these concepts kind of brought you back out of retirement almost. It's what it sounds like. Well, the patients brought me back out actually. They were uh -huh. calling me. And I said, well, I'll see one here, see one there. And then, you know, another one and another, and then, well, I'll get a little office and then, well, well, I'll get a, I want an office with a chair that works, you know, so, <laughs> you know, so I got another one. and it, it's just built so that the practice is now, um, you know, bigger, if you want to say uh, more, more comprehensive, let's say than it ever was. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, you know, we're, we talk a lot about laser therapy, of course, here on this podcast, and it sounds like you started getting into some of the research seeing some of the studies that could be done with laser therapy. Was that kind of your first exposure to laser was looking at the research or did you have colleagues or had you heard of that? Like prior to kind of doing the, the, that digging? No, I never, I was reading the brain that changes itself. And, you know, and I'm reading this and I'm like, I knew nothing about lasers, nothing. And I was lying on this hammock for like six hours reading this book. And I'm like, this this could be a game changer, you know? And so I didn't know anything about the research at all. In fact, in his book, he doesn't really talk about the brain vis-a-vis uh, -vis laser. He was talking about vis-a-vis -vis the body. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so anyway, I just started doing the investigating and learning about QEGs and spent, the, I don't know, at least a year doing some research to figure out how I wanted to do it. And QEG, quantitative EG, neurofeedback, that kind of stuff is, is very complex. It took a while to get that online. Yeah, that, that is beyond a lot of other clinicians more than likely, but that's really exciting. You're able to couple those ideas. What, um, what is, you know, I'm not going to ask you about your protocols necessarily, because you could go on about those for hours, I'm sure, but we'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit. But um, you've shared a couple of really neat success stories with us. What about your first breakthrough success case that involved laser? Do you recall oh, a yeah. particular case? Yeah. Yes, I'll never forget it. So, so um, this this woman was in her late fifties, I think, and she came to me actually for early cognitive decline, she had mild cognitive impairment, and she had a strong apoe apoe four homozygous, so she had the, you know etc. And she had strong family history, and she also had. Um, temporal lobe epilepsy was undiagnosed, but historic by history, it was obvious. And then uh, coincidentally, she told me that she had trouble recognizing faces, you know, so she, you know, she was doing work with people all the time in her business. She had her own business and she could never, she came to someone's house one day and she was like, 
I don't know, I have in my report here everything, but I don't remember ever seeing this person. This, so this had gone on for seven years. <clears throat> so it was called acquired prosopagnosia. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do the laser. I did the QEG, mapped out what I was gonna do, and I did the laser, and I don't know what to expect, you know? And uh, she, she, she comes into my office to make the next appointment after the laser. And she says, uh, oh my God, I remember the face of the person that I, I worked with this morning and the dimple and her husband's face. About Like right there, her ability came back. So that means that the, the neurons that were involved that we targeted based on the QEG, exactly where to target, uh, those neurons were alive, but they were kind of in a liminal state. They were alive, but not able to function. So the infusion of the light, the energy, et cetera, blood flow, whatever, all those mechanisms got her going. And so actually I wrote it up and today, just this morning, found out that the paper was accepted for publication. So that's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's really amazing. It's really exciting too. So maybe a little opinion here. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people hear things like this and they go, well, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, well, I have my own opinion, of course, you know, but uh, what, what are your thoughts? Why, what would you say to a patient that goes, why isn't everybody doing this? Oh gosh, you know, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> why isn't everybody doing this? Why? Because we're humans. Why? Because we don't like to think too much. Most people don't like to think. Why? Because people don't like to color outside the lines. They don't, they, you know, there's a lot of reasons. You know, as I spoke to a bunch of my colleagues 10 years ago, we were having lunch. I said, you see the evidence for functional medicine. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I don't know, I'm too old. I don't want to change. It's too much to learn. You know, there's all these reasons. And then on top of that is the, um, the you know, psychiatrists and physicians are now trained and uh, really controlled by the, uh, the, the psychopharmacology, the pharmacology, the, you know, drug industry, et cetera it's so the medical schools are supported by this, right? And even NIH and the CDC, they're all in bed together. So people are not really thinking about what works for the patient. They're, they're thinking about it's, you know, it's a, it's a dollar, you know, it's a model of capitalism, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's greed, whatever you want to call it. So there's so many reasons, mm. uh, but this, this is the structure of human society um, that, that revolutions, you know, uh, changes don't get incorporated. Uh, they just don't for sometimes hundreds of years, like scurvy. You know, the cure to scurvy was discovered 200 something years before the cure was implemented. You know, so, you know, it's just well, the way it is. It, yes, I, I can't disagree with any of those points. I think I think that seems right on from my perspective as well. I All credit to you for being willing and and excited about getting into something different than what you had done and and really expanding your horizons there because yeah i see that frequently um no matter whether it's a physical therapist or chiropractor or a family medicine you know a primary care provider there's just not that interest in getting into something new there's not that interest in working a little bit harder to find what's better for the patients but i mean yeah if you want to come home to story and be able to tell stories like what you're telling, you got to put in the work. You do have to put in the work. You know what? It's like, um, it's just the way I'm built. You know, I'm just passionate about getting to the truth of, of the matter and finding what works and doing what's best for the patient. And, um, 
you know, when managed care came around in the early 90s, everyone was uh, jumping ship. And that's when medicine changed, where people basically stopped doing what was in the best interest of the patient and started working through algorithms. Like, okay, I name it, then I apply the algorithm, you're in and out of my office in eight minutes. And thank you very much. I hope I made you feel good. And I hope you like me. I like you. Okay. And you know, that's, but, but that's not medicine in my opinion, at least for some people it works. Maybe it works for 80% of people too. That's, that's fine. But you know, I'm a, a medical detective and I, I like to do the highest quality, the most thorough comprehensive work that I can. And it's just my nature. Not everybody's built this way. And we also need the, we also need the, the soldiers who do, you know, who do treat the 80% and, and get it done efficiently. We need that, those people too. Well, for healthcare providers that are interested in knowing more, you know, and, and interested in pushing the bounds and learning, obviously, You've been in the field for a long time. You're very experienced. You've seen this from the traditional end. You've seen the different changes healthcare has gone under. You've got a program to actually train physicians in this new form of functional medicine involving, you know, your protocols. Can you tell us a little bit about how you set up your training program and, you know, what that looks like for physicians and and non-physicians that are interested in learning? So what we're doing, this is the plan. I've been working on this for a few months now. Uh, and the plan is that we're going to basically have people watch me treat a patient on Zoom. In other words, we will select the patient. It could be one of the clinicians uh, who is one of their patients. Uh, probably not one of my patients, but it could be. But I'd rather be one of the clinician's patients who is willing to do what they have to do, et cetera. And, um, and then they, they will watch what I do. And then, then there'll be a time for questions and answers after each treatment evaluation treatment session. And uh, that will proceed over the course of roughly 10 months to a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that's stage one. And then stage two will be some, a smaller group very likely who may then follow that model. Um, and, and treat the patient, and, uh, and then I will comment and help guide, et cetera. And then the, the third stage would be the high-lane treatment. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're working on. I'm trying to work out the finances because a lot of time is involved. I want to subsidize the treatment for the patient, um, let the tuition subsidize the treatment, et cetera. So I'm trying to work out the numbers, but that's the idea. When I did this um, at Georgetown, uh, now probably 20 years ago, I treat, I was teaching cognitive behavioral therapy for 10 years. And I would actually have the residents do something like this, where they brought in their own patient and I guided them and they loved it and they learned it and it was very effective. So I think it's much better than a lecture or series of lectures. It's, I want it to be like, not academics, but like, what do we do? How do we approach a patient? That's the idea. Patient-centered. And, yep. and yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable and it makes it stick with people, especially if they can see it working with a patient. It'll be like an internship, really. Yeah, ah, it's fascinating because there's not, um, you know, there's there are training programs out there for functional medicine. There's actually a lot of different training programs for functional medicine, but one that's really centered around a patient encounter and includes some of the things that you and I have talked about today. That's hard to find. You're right. Right. Excellent. So that, that's what we want to do. And we're looking for people who are 
uh, clinicians who, are, you know, ideally they're MDs because I do want them to be able to do the high lane stuff, but uh, they maybe, maybe don't have to be MDs, but, uh, you know, I want them to be able to order the testing that they need to do, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Right. Amazing stuff. Really yeah. neat stuff. Well, yeah. I don't have much else for you. I don't think you've thrown a lot of information into the podcast here today. I really appreciate your time. And I tell you what, this is exciting stuff. So if you have a patient in the Washington, D.C. area that could benefit from Dr. Hideo's approach, you can send referrals right over the, to the whole psychiatry clinic. But also, Dr. Hideo and his team can treat patients from across the nation. So get a hold of them by going to wholepsychiatry.com. And if you're interested in learning from Dr. Hideo about this functional medicine approach, this very unique approach, go ahead and contact him there through the website. There's a link in the show notes. And then if you need assistance, figuring out what type of laser is going to work for you and your practice, if, you're, if you need safety and certification training for yourself or your staff, you can check out lasertherapyinstitute.org. Doctor, anything else from you? Well, the only thing I want to say is, uh, first of all, thank you to you. This is, I'm, I love having the opportunity because this needs to get out, right? Um, but when you're dealing with psychiatric or neuropsychiatric patients, really, really what I've learned is that so much of it is not psychological. So much of it is not psychological. And so it's really important to identify in your psychiatric patients what's going on functional medicine-wise, what's going on inside the brain. You know, there's such a stigma, you know, I'm seeing, you know, it, it's, not, it's not good. And uh, so I think that's number one is remember that there's a lot of physiology going on. There's a lot of head trauma going on that is not detected or treated. There's so many things. So that's the most important thing I would say. If I could say something on that, I think one of the most heartbreaking things is to have a patient come in uh, even just with a physical, like a musculoskeletal disorder and to be clearly suffering and in pain. And then they have to sit there and say, well, you know, I saw so-and-so and they said, it's all in my head. I just, you know, <laughs> and he, clearly, clearly somebody didn't want to do the legwork, you know, mm -hmm. and, or somebody wasn't trained enough to really evaluate that particular case. Right. Or so, so what, so what if some of, what if some of it is in the head, but you know how it's in the head? the pain network is disturbed. <laughs> That's how it's in the head. It's not, yes, is there stress? Yes, is the limbic system getting overactivated? Yes, but it's not a, your deficiency. It's not your, who you are that's at a deficit, okay? That's, that's what I'm saying, right? It's not your core. That's a, nothing wrong with you as a human being, okay? That's what I'm saying. People need to hear that, I think. Yep, yep. No. Well, this has been great. Again, if you want to find out more about Dr. Hidea and his approach, wholepsychiatry.com is a website. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by your work. I think it's really exciting. I can't wait to see what kind of program you put together because we need more folks out there doing what you're doing. Thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate it. Very Thank much. you, Doc. Take care. All right. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.